Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 444. As you guys can tell, if you're watching this on YouTube, I am not in my usual location. I am here in Kaga City, Japan for the very first THU Japan event. This has there have been many THUs, but this is the first one in Japan and it is absolutely amazing. There's birds chirping, I'm in the lake, there's incredible uh, a koi in this lake and it's just an absolutely gorgeous place in this resort and the guys at THU have really outdone themselves. Uh, very excited to be here. In fact, I've been recording some podcasts here so you'll be getting to see those in the coming weeks. I'm really happy to do, to do that. Now, speaking of THU, a very good friend of mine who I met at THU uh, and have become good friends ever since is Kevin Resty who is in this podcast. So this podcast is with Kevin. Uh, he is a producer, a director, artist, a creative entrepreneur, really an amazing person, um, self-made man, almost by definition. He uh, sort of went, in, went to school and created his own curriculum as he was going. And in fact, the minute he graduated, he started an LLC and started working for himself because he said he's never actually had a job, which is also an incredible thing. He's worked in so many different uh, medias. It's really kind of fascinating to hear all the things that Kevin has done and really thought about where media fits in all kinds of different areas. Um, so really happy to do that. Now, one of the reasons I did this podcast with him is I was hanging out with him at SIGGRAPH and he had a very strong opinion about AI, not necessarily a very popular one, uh, but it was really, really engaging to hear what he had to say. Now, I want to have everyone's thoughts and put everyone's perspective out there so that everyone has an idea of what this is about. And uh, Kevin uh, definitely has some interesting ideas about it, which I think are very, very important for people to hear. Um, and uh, really cool to have that uh, in there and including all the way up to how media is distributed. So uh, really great to have him talk about that. So. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Kevin, for doing that. Uh, now, we do have a couple of announcements. The first thing is I want to talk about a product announcement that is kind of going a little bit under the radar, but you guys should really be paying attention, and that is Vantage 2 Update 1. Uh, that includes uh, DLSS 3.5 uh, that we've been working with NVIDIA on, uh, and that VLSS 3.5 includes something called ray reconstruction, which is a completely new way of doing denoising uh, that completely changes the way that Vantage works to such a, an area now that it's, you're getting 100% clean renders at 100 frames a second at full HD. It is just mind-blowing what this update can do. Uh, and I've been using it in a lab because I've been doing some projects which I'm going to talk to about uh, recently. But definitely go check it out. If you guys use Vantage, make sure you download update one because it is a big, big deal. Um, uh, so, in terms of events that are going on, I will be at the VIEW conference October 15th through the 20th. Uh, so I hope to see you guys there. In fact, I will be talking there. And the thing that I will be talking about is a project that I've been working on uh, with the Innovation Lab and Vlado and uh, Rado and a bunch of the other great guys uh, over at Chaos. And that is to bring Vantage, actually, to virtual production. Uh, it is operating at a speed now that is really enabling us to think about fully ray traced virtual production uh, to a brand new level. And I'm really, really excited about what that's gonna do uh, in that area. So I'll be presenting that, talking about how we do it, talking about what it means for the industry in general. And, uh, and yeah, so just de definitely go and check that out. Again, that is gonna be at the VIEW conference, uh, October 15th through the 20th. 
Uh, now, in terms of the podcast, you guys know, if you want to f- know more about it, you guys can uh, follow us. You go to chaos.com slash cggarage. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, that is facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast. And if you want to watch us, you can just go to YouTube. That is youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. And that's where we post all our videos, including all the podcasts. So definitely go check that out. But for now, please enjoy episode number 444 with Kevin Resty. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. So, Kevin, let's see. Uh, we first met at THU. We were both like big THU people, right? And this must have been seven years ago? What was your first THU? Seven, uh, yeah, seven years ago. 2016, 2017. Yeah. Okay. I met you, I believe, like my second day there. You were like the fifth person I met at THU, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, you were like the fifth person I met. So I met, I met Vikram, Spaz, and then you were like two after that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we ended up, we tend to like to hang out with each other. Yeah. We have a lot of, a lot of real intense conversations, which can take up a good amount of your day. Yeah. 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 And we're never shy to keep going. Uh, so that's been a, a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, you know, obviously we've been to many THUs since then and continue to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some very unique skills uh, that I learned, which are you are very good with people. <laughs> you are very good at conversation. Uh, you're that. very good at creative conversation. And uh, I know you have a lot of other artistic skills, but that in itself is an important skill that not everyone has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the compliment. I mean, mixing my two favorite things together, art and people. So it goes goes well together and usually have a couple drinks in there mixed in and it, uh, you know, gets for a great time, actually. All right. All right. Well, that's great. But I, I think, you know, one of the things that's awesome that I love about this podcast, even though you and I have chatted many times for long hours, this is my chance to get your origin story, to find out, you know, what, where, where did you come from? What, what got you involved in doing creative work and what got you inspired to do the kind of things that you do? So what, what started it all for you? Uh, well, I guess I've always been interested, like, like everybody in art, you always you realize you've been interested in it since you were three years old or something and just never, you know, had the, you know, the self-awareness of it. So I've been into comic books and sci-fi and movies, cartoons, you know, my entire life. Uh, comic books in particular were a huge thing for me. And uh, then I went to college to be an architectural engineer. Uh, okay. Because, <laughs> you know, first generation immigrant from Portugal, I was supposed to go to college and be an engineer or a doctor or something like that. Uh, right. Didn't work out too well. And I had somebody that was uh, very nice to me and introduced me into the art program. And it was one of those things that everything just kind of clicked. Like up until there, I was going through school. Like I was doing whatever I needed to do to get the grades and get through. And I was very good at playing that game. So you know, honor roll student, but never really cared kind of thing. When I got into art was when it, it like all suddenly clicked for me. And uh, I got the chance to uh, help develop their first uh, digital media program. They were actually, it was still called new media at the time. Yeah. Uh, So I I ended up helping them out developing that curriculum, uh, bringing in CG animation, bringing in 
uh, robotics, bringing in web development, adding all of these things to the existing traditional art program. And what and year was this about? I graduated, I graduated uh, spring of 2007 as the okay. first new media degree from Pennsylvania State University. Oh, so okay. I was developing the curriculum as, as I was taking it. So it's kind of <laughs> like, we'll put these classes together. I did a lot of independent studies, which kind of allowed me to just explore. And they were very much about art being everywhere. So it wasn't just on the canvas. It was everywhere. It was installation art, traditional art, uh, more modern stuff, completely just tech stuff that made zero sense to me. But you kind of just experience it for what it is. It's just people expressing themselves through whatever mediums they can get their hands on. And I believe that those independent studies really just let me kind of stretch my legs and find the connective tissue between all of that stuff. So when I, after that, I went to grad school at Parsons, uh, the new school okay. of design and kind of right. continued that. I took a similar program called design and technology. Again, they let you run wild. If you wanted to make an animation, you could make an animation. If you wanted to make a website that gathered data and you wanted to present that, you could do that. And uh, it really just put all of art into one big pile for me. So right. when I got out into the real world, no one thing really made perfect sense to me. Nothing. I was like, I don't want to be a visual effects artist. Like, I don't want to be a designer. I don't want to be a graphic designer. Like, I'm not sure where I fit in. And I realized I don't fit in anywhere. Where I fit is in that connective tissue in between all of those pieces. Kind of interesting. You know, just smoothing that process over. So, like, you, I very much appreciate the comment saying that I'm good with people and good with creative. That's the thing I pride myself on is making sure all the pieces understand each other creatively. Right. Because just like in a casual conversation, people speak in slang, people speak from their personal experience uh, from THU. You know, we have people from all over the world there, all kinds right. of backgrounds. And we do our best to get our message across in our limited vocabularies and our limited, you know, and I find that that's the same thing with every department. An engineer will talk about it from an engineering standpoint. You know, yeah. corporate will talk about it from corporate art. will talk about it from art. And a lot of times we're talking about the same thing. And it's the the semantics. Sure. That aren't coming across. And that's where I find that I fit in really well is I'm like, well, we're really just talking about the same thing. So how can we make sure we can express each express ourselves to each other how, that we are in the same boat on the same going in the same direction? Right. But I think what what makes it a lot of people, you know, a lot of artists like like to talk, not necessarily listen, but you listen. <laughs> yeah, well, because if I don't listen yeah, like my talking, uh, I mean, with us, it's more, you know, I, I, lo I love hanging out with you because you allow me to share a lot of edgy ideas that might not be the way most people are thinking about things. But sure. in a, in a, when we're trying to build something, my contribution as far as how much I talk is really just to fill in the gaps. It's just to bridge that, that space between the two departments, like 2D and animation or whatever departments we're working on. Because like I right. said, I find that the creative process is the creative process no matter what we're making. Like right. it really just comes down to, you know, efficiently using your assets and communication between all the people involved. And as long as we're going in the same direction, we're going to create something good. Might not be what what I thought or what you thought it was going to be, but this is an experience and we're going to go on it together. And that at the end, that adventure is the, you know, that's the product that we create. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's get a, little, it. a little artsy. It's well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what you say, you, know, you, you said you belong between the connective tissues of the, mm -hmm. of the art world in some ways. How did, how did you translate that into your career? How did you take what you took from school and, and translate that into the career you have now? Well, it, it kind of happened almost accidentally. People say okay. networking is the best thing you could do. And 
it obviously is it's very true in my career. I've had a lot of different friends from a lot of different backgrounds that have tried a lot of different things. And I found that my expertise kind of fit into all of them. And I found okay. a lot of people coming to me and asking for advice. And my expertise worked everywhere. Well, I mean, not everywhere, obviously, but it worked in many, many different contexts, whether they were writing a script, doing an independent film, rolling out a website product, creating an app. Like I've, I've participated in a, a range of different media projects. And my particular process doesn't really change. The only thing that changes is who the players are. And what the and what the particular assets are, but my role never really changed, and that's where I was like, "Well, there's something to this." So, did you get a job? I mean, where did you start working? <laughs> no, or did so you just I, start working independently immediately? I am, I am kind of happy to say I've actually never had a job, <laughs> and uh, luckily, <laughs> I live I live in New York, and you know, it was 2009 when I graduated, so media boom was everywhere. Everybody is creating media. Everybody's creating content. Here we have banks, the pharma. We have most of broadcast we have the news we have a couple video game companies and then every creator you can shake a stick at you know that's out here creating stuff so sure the first thing i did was just go out and start start pitching uh my first job actually strange was uh working at a company called curious pictures doing mocap on the right. stage for uh the rock band series right which is you know but to me it was awesome I, it was so out of out of the space but to me it was amazing that the, the level of technology that they were using and how they were implementing it into the game, right? I got that entire thing. I ended up doing, I think, I think I did 14 full songs for Green Day Rock Band as far as animation. Wow. Uh, so I got I got a lot of stuff. I did like 300 shots for Rock Band 2, I believe. Uh, so I got okay. a lot of time there. And then from there, I moved to another company called 321 Launch, which specified, back then they called it Previs Animatics. Now we all call it Virtual Production. Okay. But they would use the mocap stage to create CG previs, fully animated, fully lit, background composited, whole thing of full up ads. So their customers were like Budweiser, Coca Cola, you know, things like that. Worked on a doing like Super Bowl ads. So before you get your talent in, before you get everybody on set and you start doing it, we would get a script. We would make some preliminary storyboards, animatic, and then we would using the mocap system, create a full CG version of the commercials, wow. sometimes cut for cut. And again, this is all just reinforcing my, oh, this is all the same, like technology and art, like we can just merge all this stuff together and sure. it's exponential gains. Right, you know, right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, then the creative process is what it is. Sometimes the directors would get our animatics and change the whole thing on the fly, you know, but that's with them, but sometimes they ended up being almost shot for shot. Like com compositions that I created ended up in in full up commercials. Uh, wow. And then after that, I just kind of went through New York. I've I've ran bringing those skills. Uh, I've ran through almost every corporation structure you can hear: pharma, news, banking. I've worked for every one of the major banks. Uh, there is a lot of media here. I've worked for WWE, NBC Sports. Uh, again. Whether it's motion graphics, CG, animation, it all kind of is the same to me. The, the, the but did you do it as a freelancer? Or did you start your own company or how did you yeah, yeah. get first, a consultant? First, first day out of college, I called my friend Ray, who was a business major, and I was like, how do I make a company? He came over, he made me an LLC. Like the first week I graduated graduate school and then I just started. Wow. And that was it. And I, so you I'm hire like, yourself out as a consultant to these people. Like, here's how we do things. Absolutely. People write checks to sketch studios and that's me pretty much. But uh, I was lucky enough that my dad uh, is a contractor. So as a kid, 
I would watch him run a small business and kind of got the sense of that's the way I want it to be. Right. Mostly for the mostly for the freedom. You know, you don't like a job, you can move on. You know, a relationship doesn't have to be permanent. You know, you can go in, do a good job, do a mediocre job. The next relationship could be better. You know, you're never in that, you know, position where you're like, oh, I don't know where this is going. It's like, well, we can take it one project at a time. And I very much like that. Right. Right. So how did you keep what, how did you keep yourself uh, tuned into all the new technology that's out there? Uh, well, that's well, that, oh, I guess we didn't mention that because we, we've been to a lot of THUs. We've also <laughs> been to a lot of we've also been to a lot of SIGGRAPHs together. Right. Uh, SIGGRAPH is my number one answer to that. I was uh, a good professor of mine, Carlos Rosas from uh, Penn State, put me onto that when I was still in college. And he was like, if you want to work in CG, if you want to work in the visual effects industry, you have to go see what the big guys are doing. Right. And I remember, I believe it was 06 in Boston was my first SIGGRAPH. And it was, I mean, I, my head didn't explode in the expo floor by this much because it really was just like, I was completely blown away right. by what people were doing. Like what people in college classes were bringing to SIGGRAPH, what different departments were bringing. And since then I try to go every year. So I think I've gone to like 15 at this point. And okay. I really feel like you go there, that's where you see where everything is going. That's where you see the, you know, that's where you see the tsunami starting out in the, in the horizon is you right. see it at SIGGRAPH because you'll go, you'll see somebody present a paper, some college kid, and then six years later, that'll be a plug-in in Photoshop, you know? Right. <laughs> ten, ten years later, that's how the whole industry is working. Like, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, I can give a specific example. You and I were at SIGGRAPH this year. We were we were watching a talk on understanding the basics of quantum computing and how it's going to affect computer graphics. We know that's a tsunami that's going to happen. I, that <laughs> absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I went to that. I went to that talk knowing I would understand maybe a tenth of what they were really talking yep. about. But I, I was like, I can't not be ready. Like, yeah, I'll watch this one next year. There'll be more. By the time this is implemented in everybody's cell phones, like, I'll have right. an understanding of how it works. But really. Quantum computing is coming. We saw digital doubles coming for miles. For long time. Uh, yeah. The AI revolution that's happening now. We've been talking about those those things at Cigarette for for years, maybe a decade now. We right. were, we were on the machine learning, computer vision, yep. now AI kick. So it seems new to a lot of people, but this stuff has been going on in the background. Like the people of the computer graphics industry have been working on this stuff for a long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember ten years ago when Nvidia first started talking about well. It wasn't, and it's been longer than that. But when I started looking at what neural networks are and how they work and how they, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this could be big. Yeah. And I, yeah. I everyone was, at that point, everyone was banking on VR being the future. And I'm like, uh, NVIDIA is going to make a lot more money on AI, a lot more money. The sheer, the sheer applications of it. And this was back when they were just still trying to identify a one versus a five. Right. Or just like like just trying to identify a letter. And you could already see like, okay, this right. is going to... Or teaching itself to play Pong or something. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I mean, the, ba the basic stuff that they were applying it to, but you really saw that, oh, wow, this can plug in anywhere. It's like yeah. getting a new, a new Lego. You can just go to your old set and be like, this clicks right here on, yeah. any, on any tower I've built. And that, that's... Yep. Oh. AI is a very exciting, exciting topic, right? Yeah. And in fact, you know, I, I'd like, to, I want to get more into AI because I think that's a subject that you and I can talk about for, for a while. But before mm. we, we get into that, I want to have some highlights of your career. Like what, what are some of the big projects, some of the things that you think were 
were really cool and exciting for you that we're really proud of? Fair enough. Uh, I mean, big one was obviously just working on those uh, four AAA games that I got to do right out of my career as a big video game kid and not from a very successful neighborhood or anything. Like to me, it was like, oh my god, I'm working on I'm working on something real. Like people are playing this at the bar. So to me, it, you know, it was amazing. And right. then uh, I got I got the chance to uh, do at the time he was a new act. Now he's, he's a huge. Everybody knows who he is. ASAP Rocky. I got to be the color. I got to be the color guy on one of his first major videos. Uh, really? Working, yeah, that was like one of my first worst uh, first chances to do something in VFX. Was I jumped in and I did uh, color and you know corrective effects on, uh, on oh, his nice. first two videos, which was uh, you know that was huge for me. Uh, Goldie was the name of the video. I got to work directly with the guys from Sony and Epic, and you know in the creative room. And I'm real proud of myself for that one because I got that job for overhearing a conversation. I heard production talking about how they needed the guy to do this, and I kind of just jumped on it. And they gave me a shot in the room with the director, and that initial meeting went well. And then I got to do, I got to do the entire video, which was awesome. Yeah, again, the skills of not being shy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, def it definitely helps. Well, my grandmother used to tell me all the time in Portuguese, uh, "How does it, the shy go hungry?" Was her was her saying? The shy right. go hungry. If you don't speak up, you're not going to get fed. If you don't speak up, you're not going to get anything, and people are just going to pass you by. So right. I've kind of always kept that with me, and especially in work, kind of got to throw yourself at it sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. The other highlight, the other highlight I would throw on there is I was real proud to work on uh, Sunday Night Football for NBC Sports. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, just as a, a you know a property I've loved since I was a kid, and. You know, a property, finally, I'm working on somebody that everybody I know watches. I can go home and be like, oh, you did that. Awesome. Yes. A little recognition was nice. But I got to do uh, the 2013 season uh, motion graphics for NBC Sports for uh, Sunday Night Football, which was absolutely fantastic. That's a huge gig. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny because they gave me the choice. It was like, you could either work on the NFL or they were going to send me to Sochi to work on the Olympics. And I had, I had a really hard, I was like, I don't. I don't know. And I went with the NFL first. Well, I <laughs> would have picked the Olympics, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but being locked in a, you know, doing 12 hour days, seven days a week in Russia, summer wasn't the most appealing because we would yeah. have been in the van. So I went with the NFL, I think mostly because everybody I knew was in nine. Looking back, I don't think Russia was probably the right <laughs> choice, but you're right. If it uh, had been Rio, I would have definitely gone to, I would have definitely gone to the Olympics. Oh, yeah. No question. <laughs> For sure. Yes. For sure. Uh, okay. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, all right. I do, I do want to get into this conversation about AI, and I just want to sort of get your feelings about it because you and I had this conversation how talking about AI under certain circumstances has actually been hard on some of the people that we know other relationships with them. And so there's a lot of reactions towards what AI is and what it does and, and sort of a only seen sort of in a black and white situation. What are your feelings about that? And why do you think that is that, you know, just having conversations about this, unless you are completely opposed to it, you are seen as the enemy? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it comes from a lot of places. One, it comes from, you know, fear. Obviously, uh, people are being told all their jobs are going to disappear. People are being told that AI is going to replace them in every facet of their job. And, you know, and so people are you know, hesitant. And I feel like that's something that's happened with everything. Every new technology brings a level of resentment and fear and hesitation from the people that are being disrupted by it. Many sure. times, you know, 
well-placed fear. Like uh, not, not, not every technology that comes around helps everybody. So people's hesitation is definitely understandable. Um, also, I think AI particularly is suffering. I mean, you had mentioned VR before. I feel like our information ecosystems are made to kind of bring an idea as, as loud and aggressively as possible. Okay. So when AI came out, all of the places people go to get informed, they're basically going, the house is on fire. We don't know. The AI is going to replace you. Like everybody's like blaring these alarms that aren't real. I don't think. I feel like people are worried about the wrong thing right now. And it's a lot of fanaticalism running around. Like a lot of people think that all the studios are going to buy AI bots and fire everybody. And now they're just going to be like, give me a new script for a new show. Right. And that's and that's the way it's going to work. And in that simplistic uh, view of it, if, if that's the way you people think AI is, then yes, you should be terrified. You should. You would be terrified. I would be terrified, too, if I believed that that's the way AI would work. Uh, right. I don't believe AI works that way. I think right now we're in the beginnings of it and people are using it, you know, like a sledgehammer. Like people are just give me a drawing in the style of this person. I don't, I don't believe that that's the way AI is going to work as one all-encompassing tool. I think what we're going to have is like a fractalization of AI where it's going to be implemented in small doses at every single point in the process. But so, so here is the issue that we've been, and I'm, you know, obviously going to, we need to find some points and counterpoints to do, but there, mm -hmm. people are concerned specifically that their work is not just that they don't have job but that their work is being used to train these system without their consent right yeah yes and that's that's a very gray area for me that's okay. a very gray area for me uh how so <laughs> so because because i don't okay so in my mind i very much believe art and culture are the same thing sure so giving ownership the idea of ownership to art and style is a very like iffy concept Right. Um, we're, we're trying. I, I completely understand where they're coming from. They don't want somebody to just be like, oh, I stole your style and now I'm going to do that. But the truth is, is that's what creativity is most of the time. And okay. we, we as humans suffer from loss aversion terribly, where we'll copy influences from everywhere. We'll copy compositions, color schemes, costume ideas, character flaws. We'll, 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 we'll pick every tree in the garden. But then right. somebody will copy something from us and it's the worst thing in the world. You know, so it, like where does uh, one of my favorite examples is where does Led Zeppelin start, stop and where does Aerosmith start? If you're going okay. from a style perspective. Okay. Right. If we're going from like, oh, it's a style where where can we like draw those lines? Like where what do you actually well, own? Let's let's look at the the example that Mark Simonetti. Obviously, you guys you know Mark. We've seen him at THU, and he's a really talented mm -hmm. person. The problem he's been posting recently is you know, right now uh, uh, he posted on 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 X. I guess that's what it's called. Yeah, now. Yeah, but he posted that uh, uh, people are taking making work in Adobe. I think it's Firefly that they're creating Firefly. it. They are making work that with his name, okay, saying uh, a painting by Mark Simonetti, blah, 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 right, which he didn't create. It creates a lesser 
quality version that he would normally create. Mm -hmm. And then they are selling that as stock with his name attached to it mm -hmm. in Adobe stock. How can that be right? <laughs> I guess the only thing that makes it, I, and this is what's been happening with copyright and intellectual property, uh, property in general, is the technology is forcing us to redefine what those things are. And AI, is, I feel, is going to blow the doors open on this, and we're going to have to re revisit all of it. So sure. if, if we were talking, if you remove Adobe from the equation, okay, I don't see anything wrong with that. If you're telling me that there is somebody who is creating their own art, their own story using your style, they're using your style to create concept art for their film, but I don't see anything wrong with that. That's the way art works. You create an idea, you put it into the public into the public consciousness. Now it's part of my consciousness. Now I'm right. reacting to that. That's how it works. When it gets iffy now is companies. Adobe being able to do that and then putting a price tag on it, that's obviously how do you, how do we make that okay? Right. But I feel like that's a that's actually a larger issue where we have corporations as the gatekeepers to the actual cornerstones of our culture now. So right. Disney owns your whole childhood. You can't remix your your stories that your mom, that you watched and grew up with. You can't use them. Those are, are off the table. Most of them they took from the public domain to begin with and then made them theirs and they go. So like when companies get involved is where, so I feel like we need to make a very big distinction if we're okay. talking about art as art and culture like is okay. it okay for me to take your idea and implement it into what i'm creating and do it and then money because when people get paid and who gets paid that's what adds this entire you know this is what adds this entire layer of complexity to it so sure. as an as an artist academic artist i think ideas shouldn't be put in a box if you come up with a new type of story i should be able to add to that i should be able to put my twist on it you i should be able to put my my experience onto it, reflecting what I thought of your work and what your work is built on. When we start talking about who gets paid, it becomes very iffy. And I get real hesitant because I'm I'm a student of history. So whenever I see anything, I see all, I see many influences that built up to it. And who gets the credit? So now you're gonna copyright now in 2023, your style. So by default, you get everything you were you built on. Okay. And that things like that very much worry me. I find the the IP thing is very much like the United States arming Osama bin Laden in the 80s. I feel like we're creating all of these metrics that are quantifying style and art that are then going to be bought and used against us by bigger companies. So you think being able to copyright your own work and style is going to enable corporations to do the same and make things harder for us think, in the long run. I think, I think work is one thing and style is another. All right, you write okay. a book, you make a piece, you make a design, that's your design. You made that, that's your particular product that you've right. created, that's, your, that's the art. Style, that gets really hard. That gets really hard because I also feel that, again, my definition of art is very broad and all of these things to me kind of go into the same bucket. So. Visual arts and audio arts, for some reason, want, I feel like they want special treatment because we can quantify it. I can look at it and I can go, that's my character, pay me. That's my beat, you know, use it. 
But everything else, every other kind of art, you can't do that. Dance is one of my favorite examples. My wife was a dancer. Mm-hmm. You can't, you don't, you can't copyright a Fosse style. You can choreograph in a Fosse style. Fosse you can, can co- you can copyright a move though, not a style. You can, you can copyright the work. You can copyright right. the one, the wasn't one this, A B C. Wasn't this a specific case in Fortnite with dance moves? Yes, 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 yes. Because they took uh, like the Carlton dance. They yeah. took all of these things that people were doing. Again, it became a problem when they started selling them. Right. Pay pay twenty five dollars for the car, car, uh, Sorry, Carlton dance. Carlton. But Carlton wasn't getting a check. Right. So that's where we have the the problem. It's who gets the check. You know, right. but, but but with like dance style, like, okay, we invented breakdancing in New York City. Imagine right. we copyrighted that the way people want to copyright style right now. We yeah. would we would stifle it. You would you you would completely limit the amount of people that can participate in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and again, I am a huge, huge hip hop fan. The old catalogs of sampled hip hop music, none of that stuff is possible now without you being backed by a giant corporation that owns all of the IP you're going to be sampling from. Because if you're right. just to do it in your basement, making music, you're now limited to what they can't sue you over. And I feel like we're just making more stuff for them to be able to sue us over. And I feel like a lot of my artist friends that that are in the more artistic side that we're talking about take it so badly is they don't realize how, I feel like they don't realize how hard that could be used against them. When Disney copyrights, oh, Disney eyes, that's a style thing. Everybody draws eyes like this. Everybody who right. draws little cartoons draws them in that style. Not everyone, obviously, but you know that's a very common style. There are certain sure. pillars of inspiration that a lot of people go to that fountain for their for for ideas. Those are going to be bought when they become a metric to be able to sue people over, and then people will control them. And as an artist, the idea of putting all these ideas in boxes and not allowing people to use them is counter to what art should be that's that gets a little flowery there and a lot of people don't agree with me but yeah that's that's my overall take on that yeah i i think it's an interesting take and i think it's very uh i mean still you you will continue to be challenged on it and i think that's that's correct uh but where where you know we talked about the court systems and where the courts are right now right and obviously Mm -hmm. there's been stuff going on in congress about this and our friend Carla Ortiz has been to Congress yes. to actually discuss this uh, specifically. Uh, I'd love to have her on. I know she's very busy, but if, mm-hmm. if anyone knows Carla she, to come on to CG Garage, I would love to have her here she, and contribute to this. <laughs> yeah, she would be She would be a great guest. She'd definitely have some interesting opinions about this. Yeah. Probably on the but, other side of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts about where – I mean, you mentioned like you have concerns about people people copywriting their styles or protecting their styles through legal manners because you think it can be used against them later. Yes, mostly what because do I don't you, think it'll be well done. I think it'll be done in a in a in a in a hack way because right. I don't really think you can quantify what a style is because right. you you just you just can't. You you will they will on paper somehow. And then it'll be legalese arguments forever. Right. The the thing says any blue that, and then they're going to, then they're going to take you to court every day or they're going to have, you're going to have the patent troll problem where we'll just buy the patents and then see how many people we can sue. Right. Over it. Uh, it's just building more gates everywhere is what I think. 
Well, I definitely think it's an opportunity for patent trolls to be able to do that. Oh, for yeah. sure. That's going to be it's going to be big. Right. That, that 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 courthouse in Texas that always takes those patent trolls. It's crazy. But uh, let what. So you don't necessarily think that there should be legal barriers for people to use these uh, these tools. Right. So or define the, these tools or train these tools. I'm I've made my peace with uh, with the IP issue at the payload. As long as you're not making money off something you stole directly. So, for example, if MidJourney was a free tool, would we have the same problem? Well, like MidJourney would train all these bots on people's stuff and then let people use this tool for free to create their things. If would, would Stable that, Diffusion is free, though. So let's do Stable Diffusion. Sta stable dif so is that a problem? So I use a lot of Stable Diffusion. I actually train my own models. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a second. But let's tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so the, it's where... If I'm if I'm if I have a trained bot, so let's let's remove Midjourney. I train a bot on your artwork, okay, and I use it to make a bunch of stuff. Right. When do I get in trouble? It's when I sell something, because up until that point, nobody's done anything wrong. Right. But isn't right. that the literal, I mean, isn't that what's going on right now where they are trying to define copyright and it's literally copying you by copying the files onto your hard drive in legal terms, that can actually be a copyright infringement. Again, it's it hack law for all of this stuff. It's right. Originally, because originally when copyright law and patent law was brought up, it was not with this, it was not with the purpose of protecting the people that had the ideas. Those laws were brought out with the purpose of helping the public domain. They were specifically brought out to encourage development and exploration of ideas. So basically they were brought out to cover the development costs of an idea. You do all of the development, you come up with a great idea, you should have a short period of time where you're the only one who sells it, you're the only one who makes money on it, and then it must go into the public domain. Over the years, because of you know capitalism and the very good people we have working those those positions, it's very much changed, and those borders have been pushed pushed more into now. The whole point is to protect as much as possible. That's and the purpose own. of the IP and, and sell own. and put yeah. locks on it and sell and license it and whatever, and that's become the purpose. So I feel like we've created a monster, and as I do agree with a lot of the points people are saying, like we need. We need these protections. I don't know if making that monster bigger is the solution to those issues. Right. I, I feel like AI is going to because I'm hoping AI is going to force us to reevaluate the entire concept of how we can copyright ideas and how we protect. Them. Well, let's 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 go further then because the recent court filings has found that anything created with AI can't be also, copyrighted. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring that up, actually. Let's, because I, of course, I was going to bring that up. Because I, <laughs> we have I to cover one case and then yes. the next. <laughs> so, what was the? What was the? I'm not sure what the exact term she said. Uh, a human being is essential for the creative process, or something along right. those lines. Was what the judge, the judge said. Uh, I'm a technicalities person. What does something created by AI mean? Yeah, because someone other, has to prompt something in there. <laughs> but uh, but other than the sledgehammer way that we're talking about, which is like, create me a piece in this style, which is the way most people are using AI right now, fine. That one you get. You can't, you can't copyright that. And I agree. If you're like, hey, 
give me a give me a piece in the style of Carlo Ortiz, and then you're gonna go copyright it as a piece. I I don't think you have much ground to stand on. You didn't create that. But what does an AI work mean? If you look at the entire process, okay. So as an artist, most people don't just start with one piece, right? Maybe we thumbnail stuff out. I use AI. Give me 15 different compositions in portrait style that I can use involving two people. Boom. Now I got a bunch of things to work from. I take those. Give AI. Give me nine different color schemes that I might be able to use. Give me different options for this. Okay. Give me a bunch of. So if I'm using AI at every piece, at every step, yeah, we're going to use this body position. AI match this body position. Give it to me. Okay. Then you're going to go in and you're going to work on the face and the background and whatever. And you're going to use AI throughout every single one of these steps. That's the way I envision the process, the way my process goes. Right. Uh, at the end, you're going to tell me that that isn't my work? That's AI's work? <laughs> because by that argument, how much of the movie did Spielberg make? He's not the one running the camera or writing the script. But, you know what I mean? So it's like, right. at what point is that? He's telling people what to do. <laughs> so, but people did it, though. That's the argument, but, right? But I, well, people did what? <laughs> because, I mean, people did it. If, if I'm using it, this is where the jobs really are going to be lost. This is where I think the, the difference in the way I look at it comes. People think that we're going to lose our jobs to robots. We're not going to lose our jobs to robots. You're going to lose your job to an artist that uses robots. It's not that they're going to remove their entire department and replace it with a bunch of AI bots. No, right. they're going to have three art directors and two assistants. It's like the miniatures the guys and CG taking over. Absolutely. I was going to use the Roto example, but exactly, 100%. You used to have a room full of people doing Roto. Then we got digital tools. Now that's taken care of by two guys that are already on your on your squad doing other things. Right. And that's where I think it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of the people that adapt to this technology early and use it that are going to have the advantage. And and this is, goes back to... The, the, our friends that are not that are not signing up that are scared of this a lot of them I encourage to just just check it out like just get into it because one of the first things I saw uh, possibilities for this was okay you can train a bot on, on a style right sure. well, what if you what if you train it with your own style okay so now you have a bot that draws kind of like you okay now you can give it thumbnails and tell it to finish the thumbnails in your style boom now you have a crew of assistants now you can focus on the bigger picture, layout and story, the director stuff. You mean like the Scott Eaton thing when he took the sketches and then he uh, the body the the the, the photographs were yes. filled in. Yes, yeah. you can you can absolutely do that. And if you use it, again, all of this obviously comes with a common sense clause like you, you obviously some things are unethical and there are lines that people shouldn't, you know, cross and we should know when we're stealing. But when it comes to the artistic process, there are many steps to it, and AI is going to bolster all of those steps. So arguably, if you do all of your pre-production with AI and then get to the end, and now you know what's going on, let's say you're doing, you know, what's going on in each panel, you know, what the compositions are, what the colors are, what the body positions are, and now you have an outline for your comic book that you did draw. Is that AI, like, did you do anything wrong? Did AI do too much of the heavy lifting? Because I feel like it just helped you skip a bunch of steps, iterate your process completely, and then use your actual skills to get the final. 
let's talk about those skills because I think this is something else that's been happening, especially with kids coming out of school right now. Because I think a lot of kids, and, and you know, you and I've talked about education in the past, but a lot of people mm-hmm. are going to schools and paying a shit ton of money for these schools, learning skill sets that may now be obsolete. <laughs> right? I, uh, I mean, it was it was true when, when I went to school. I learned Quark to lay to lay right. out uh, documents. By the time I graduated, it was gone. I learned Shake as a compositing right. tool, and by the time I graduated grad school. Apple had uh, had cut that off. Right. Uh, it's I the best advice I can give people coming up because they're the ones that are really going to get burned on this. Because going back to the AI, what the AI is going to remove is the need for all the entry level people, or at least minimize it very much. And I can vouch for that was the only way I got in the room. Right. Was let me in. I'll do what. What do we need? Oh, we're going to lay out text here. Okay, get me in the room. I'm a move like I started, like I said, putting on markers and moving stuff around the set to get into the room. Digitally, that's going to go away. And there are going to be a lot less entry points to get into the industry because you can't get a roto job just doing roto because we have a ton of these. Yeah. You can't get a layout job. That was job. the way to start was, to become a compositing supervisor. That, you started that, off yeah. as a roto artist. <laughs> start at, you start as a grunt. You, you, you make your chops. You, ch- you build your way there. Yeah. And then you get a shot. I feel like that's getting removed very harshly. And mm-hmm. the best advice I can give people is focus on the soft skills because those are really the ones that are you're going to be able to use. Story doesn't change. Creative doesn't change. The way you iterate a process doesn't change. The way you experiment and communicate, those things don't change. After Effects might not be here forever. <laughs> Premiere might not be here forever. Da Vinci, all these softwares will get bought, sold, fall out of favor, Somebody will come up with something new that blows them out of the water. You know, the possibilities are really endless. So if you're going to school right now to learn a software, you you should reevaluate the kind of program you're in right now. Like right. if you're going somewhere to be like, oh, I'm going to be a, you know, editor, a Maya artist. Yeah, I would yeah. very much look at what you're learning because you shouldn't be learning too much definite tech that's going to change. Yeah. The buttons are going to move. The menus are going to change. I mean, I just think of like the way I used to do animation, you know, model your character, rig your character, texture your character, light your character. Every single one of those things is done completely differently now. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, like, I mean, when I was a teacher, uh, I taught at, at, at Rice University for a little bit and I, I was teaching people Maya and Max at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that they would see, like, here are the common things between these two things. So when you go to a new piece of software, you'll say, oh, I'm looking for that thing. Yep. That's similar to these other things, <laughs> yep. you know. I had I had a teacher that told me the math doesn't change in three D. He's like a vector's right. a vector, points are points, three D meshes are three D meshes. Understand yep. those things and how they work, and then same thing in visual effects. My my visual effects teacher uh, got his start on the Star Trek TV show, actually doing the phaser effect. Okay, old old school visual effects guy, and he gave sure. he told me he was like, "You want to be a visual effects artist? Go read the art and science of compositing." which is a textbook that basically just goes through it all sans software. Just this is how chroma key works. This is how the channels work in files when you're saving it. And I read that book cover to cover. And honestly, that changed the way I work because I don't care what software is. Yeah. Like, like you said, you show up, I'm like, I'm looking for this. Where is it? Oh, it's nodes here instead of layers. Yeah. Okay. I know how nodes work. I know how layers work. 
you know, yep. what are we really doing here? What we're doing is we're solving creative problems. Yep. And that's what that's where the skill comes. From. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. I always say two plus two equals four, no matter what mm -hmm. renderer you're using. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the truth. That's the truth. Because because and and I feel like we visual effects. Our whole industry was kind of a, a victim of its own success, a little bit. Because okay. like, when I first got out of school, we were the hotness. I mean, we were doing Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like every year, we were figuring out a new puzzle. We we were doing water this year, next year fire, next year large scale yes. destruction. We were like every film was like knocking it out of the park. It was exciting, and when that happens, you have a lot of schools with getting calls from kids that are interested, and these yep. schools go and they create a program because there's a you know supply and demand. There's demand. They treated it like a supply. trade school, which was really sad. Yes, <laughs> and they took yes. a lot of money. They you know, when certain schools they're money. when certain schools like one third of their staff is their financial aid department. It's a question. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the problems we have in education are far and wide, especially in the university level. The Uni United States, you know, especially. The yeah. United States, especially. Yeah. So, again, I can't speak to how university works in other places, but yeah, uh, far and wide from the, you know, football schools with a school problem to, yeah. you know, the, these programs that are put together just to sell on, you know, whatever they can. I remember one thing that used to annoy me a lot in school is they wouldn't let you, we're coming back to the copyright thing, they wouldn't let you use any copyrighted stuff in your work. You so mean? we wouldn't, so if you were making an animation, you couldn't just drop a soundtrack on it. You had to oh. have the rights for the music and all of this stuff, which was like a, a huge hurdle. And if the, 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 if the point was to teach, the more freedom would be better. And then later on, you realize, oh, the reason they do that is so that in case you make anything good, they can use it right. to promote themselves and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it victims of our own success. We were a very popular industry for a long time. Cigarette kept getting bigger and bigger. The yeah. movies kept getting more and more impressive. And everybody wanted to work in CG or visual effects or, you know, something like that. And I feel like a lot of demand was created and the universities filled it. Not okay. in the best way. So let's do this. Let's let, let's say, you know, there's a young person out, out of school, let's just say, uh, and they realize the world is changing around them, uh, but they, they, they need to find a way to become relevant or maybe even better than relevant <laughs> in what they're doing, where they really can, can succeed in, in what they do. And they realize that Maybe they need to incorporate AI as part of their uh, skill sets. How would you advise them on what kind of things to start looking into to sort of really sort of contribute to, uh, in some ways to what they're doing? I, I would say use a low dose strategy. Find, find low dose strategy. Don't, don't try to take your entire process apart and replace it with AI. I, I feel like that's a, a tempting thing right now that's not, not the way to go. I say low dose, find the tools that are already available that are easy for you to get your hands on because now there's tons of them, whether it's for writing, uh, color, uh, whatever, there's tons of them. Find the ones that plug in pretty easily and see how much of the hands work. We like to call it hands versus head work. How much of the hands work can you get rid of with AI? If, if you want to do something in this industry other than, you know, work for a studio and create something. There's plenty of people that want to be a good, you want to be a good animator, fine. That's a different thing. But if you want to create overall content, you have to 
bring the process in as efficiently as possible. So if it'll help you make four versions of your initial timelines or your outlines for your story faster, use it there. If it'll help you solidify your color schemes, use it there. If it'll help you make thumbnails to show the rest of the team what you're thinking, which is where I love it. That's where I'm I'm like, everybody's mad about these mid, but I'm, I'll j- jump on mid journey and make a bunch of frames and be like, no, no, like this. This is what I'm thinking. Something like this, a character that stands like this or an ambiance like this, you know, right. and if you could bring that in and get your team on board faster, use it there. So right. that's, that is where I would say low dose, because I really feel like AI right now is just a buzzword and I feel like it's going to disappear. We've been using AI and tons of stuff already without calling it AI, uh, predictive algorithms in your search engines, your, you know, uh, the, the way YouTube gives you content, the way these right. ad, we, AI has been in all that stuff. We don't call it AI. It's just yeah, it's AI. just like we don't say cyberspace anymore. <laughs> yes, we don't have the word digital in everything anymore. It's not, you know, like it's just understood. You know, right. says you're going to go on the internet. Like, no, you just, you know, you're going to go get it. So, surfing the web, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yeah, be surfing, surfing the web today. <laughs> so, so I feel that that's all that's going to happen is AI is just going to blend into everything. Right. It's just going to be in the background. You're not going to think about AI because they're not going to give you an AI option. It's going to be... I mean, we already, people don't even, I don't think people don't even realize they've been using it this whole, like you turn on Google Maps and you try to figure out how to get to the Starbucks and it gives you a route. That's, That's that is an AI. It's helping you figure that out. Exactly. There are a ton of different AIs all working in that one experience you just mentioned. Yes. From from the predictive on the search to the, the location yeah, Direction trying to, to auto-complete your sentence. <laughs> trying to auto-complete your sentence, like uh, finding your location and the piece of word you gave it to try right. to give you the preemptive search that you might be looking for. Sure. Like the, these, they're all over the place. So I think these tools are just gonna, they're just gonna bleed. They're just gonna fall into the background. Like okay. like uh, like spell check. It'll be like <laughs> spell check. Nobody yeah. even says the word spell check anymore because it's not even a thing. Right. It shows up, the word is spelled wrong, you fix it. Nobody even considers the fact that you're constantly spell checking all your work all the time. Right. It just yeah, does yeah. it. It's gonna just be it's gonna be that kind of thing. Where we'll yeah. have iterative tools that allow you to do it. Okay. So you know, so like right now, uh, I just used the tool yesterday that remixes audio tracks. Okay. So you can take your actually this is built into Premiere. You can go use it right now. You can take an audio track and just change the length on it. And it yeah. will AI adjust so that you don't ruin the actual song. Keeping lyrics, keeping music, keeping the beat right, the counts, just adjust it. Is that taking somebody's job? Yes, probably. <laughs> Does that give you more freedom as a creative to be like, oh, well, maybe, oh, it was a, you know, it's originally a minute, but I need an extra five seconds here on this reel just so I could have that. You know, now you have more freedom. You can just keep going. That's pretty awesome actually <laughs> yeah yeah how many I mean, times have i not like pissed off because the song doesn't quite work for the timing of my reel now, now you can adjust it now you can adjust it any i, I find like anything within like 30 percent, it handles pretty well yeah pretty, a little longer a little shorter it adjusts it for you and just like that tool you're gonna get a million more just like it in every facet because right now we're very much we're talking about everything in, in vis- visual arts because it's easier sure. to do it but where this is going to go it's going to go everywhere. I mean, we already have, uh, like, the first jobs that were lost to AI weren't in art. They were in, like, legal and medical. Right. Because now you don't need a team of 40 paralegals to review old law to bring you the cases that you're going to take to court. No, you can use a bot that never gets tired, 
that finds all of them can cross-reference them. You can give it what uh, you can give it all these considerations to keep in mind while looking, and it'll never forget a single one of them. Yeah, you know, so you don't need so many paralegals. You know, same thing is going to happen. Is happening with radiology. It's actually been quite amazing. What it's done with radiology. I'm not familiar with what it's done. I mean, you can find uh, uh, breast cancer way easier now. Oh, as far as like identifying symptoms and things. I mean, it's, it's the Watson idea. I remember when IBM first came out with Watson and they were like, well, what if you had one doctor that had seen every case every doctor had seen? Right. You know, that idea just kind of blows your mind. You're like, yeah, the amounts. And without forgetting, it's not like a human brain that can only hold so much information. Sure. Realistically, it can hold all of it at once. Sure, sure, and sure. And make the decision there. So, and, and what that's, same thing in, in medical or legal, it didn't remove doctors. It didn't remove lawyers. What it did, it allowed one doctor to service a hundred times as many patients. It'll have one lawyer to service as many, you know, 20, 30 times as many customers. And that's, right. you know, that's where we're going. What are your thoughts on uh, the strikes right now and how they're, they're trying to manage that concept of how AI is going to interfere with them? So I am not 100% on demands from either side or you know, what they're all, you know, what they're specifically fighting for 100%. I'm not in either of the unions, so I'm not going to pretend I understand it completely. But I, what I think is it's a, I believe it's a hard battle that people are fighting for a great reason. I don't know what their odds of shutting down AI or, you know, getting these, uh, getting it removed from, you know, the considerations or anything. I don't know how realistic that stuff is. And they are fighting, you know, some of the biggest corporate giants you could imagine in this battle. So I don't know how, how, how pretty a story it's going to end up being in the end, but I completely find it to be necessary. It, this is the beginning of us reevaluating what IP means. This is where we you know, break that box open and reevaluate it. Somebody needs to light the fire and tear stuff down so that we can start rebuilding it. And I feel like the writer's strike and the actor's strike is the, the first the right way to big, go. It's... Yeah, you have to break it down. And I don't believe anybody is going, any any of the big guys are going to let us do things the way we want. So it's going to have to be forced somehow. Like, do I 100% agree with their view of AI and how that's going to plug in? No. Do I think the system is fair as it is? Also, absolutely not. And right. there needs to be some kind of hand put to this. Like, okay. There needs to be some kind of, there needs to be some kind of change. Because the way everything is set up right now, the systems are unsustainable. Like oh yeah, I agree with I agree with that, one hundred percent. So yeah. as far as specifics of where where they should go and what they should be arguing for, I leave that to you know bigger bigger minds at the table. But uh, that a change needs to happen, and the fact that both unions are doing it at the same time, I believe sends a big message, and it's you know it's a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily right to say, okay, you can't use AI tools. Exactly. When they're like, you can't use AI in anything, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know how that plugs in. I don't. Right. But for example, want- let's let's just put it this way, right? When, 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 as a writer, right? You know how uh, a little bit how it works, but I'll just mm-hmm. expand. If you write some, if I write a story and I s- uh, try to pitch it to a studio, and they're like, okay, then you get residuals on whatever that is because. That's you own part of that story, but it, what they're fighting against is the studios say we create a crappy story with AI, and then you have to fix it, and we'll just yeah. pay you a flat fee. You didn't come up with the story the AI did. That's kind of BS. 
It is. It is. I mean, the the it's deeper than just this. I feel like the the AI. This is just like the surface level problem right. of everything. Because I mean, we, uh, I mentioned it at the beginning. I feel like these companies basically own our culture now. Sure. And the worst thing, one of the biggest tragedies I think has happened uh, technology wise in the last like fifteen years is that we got the systems for independent distribution. They were given to us. We had them. You can you can get your music and your message to anybody, and then somehow we let them take them away from us. Right. Like because we got rid of analog, and because most of you know online experiences are now done through a platform. You don't just go on the World Wide Web. <laughs> now you go to Amazon Prime. You go to you know Spotify. Uh, yeah, Spotify. You go to these these gatekeepers. Right. And. They control all the means of distribution. Back in the day, you could make a movie and sell DVDs. You can't sell me a DVD. Where am I going to watch it? I don't have a DVD player. And you can't put yourself on one of those streams for me to get it. And most of those platforms won't access whatever independent stream you're going to make available to me. Yeah. So like, as a, as a consumer, I have to jump through all these hoops that realistically I'm not going to jump through right. to get to your product. So we've like... I feel that's the, 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 the underlying issue is this chokehold that has been put on all media distribution. Right. Because you make a song. I mean, we had the Spotify thing a little bit, but even that, like you have to opt into that. Most people aren't on, you know, don't access Spotify. Sure. They've removed everything. And was it, I believe it was you that actually told me, wasn't uh, that the average blockbuster back oh, in the day? Oh, okay. Was I was about to bring that up. Yes. Oh, I, I, I the average block, uh, you, you, you know the stat better than me, right? So well, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, it was along the same, these lines. It's basically a blockbuster, an average blockbuster store in the 90s had 7,000 movies available in their store, right? Most mm-hmm. of them are in the middle of the store, <laughs> not right, the stuff on the, against the wall, which was all the new releases, right? But in the middle of the store, there was tons and tons of movies. You could just find anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix right now has only 3,000 movies available. So Netflix has less than half of what your average blockbuster store had. And you think of Netflix as having all the movies, but it has very few it's, movies. Well, I, I was a huge fan of Netflix when it was actually the sending the DVDs home thing. Because right. you actually did get access to all of all these films. The stuff. Right. That as soon as we went online, we all thought we were going to keep all that. And then it was like, oh, you know, yep. shrink it back down. But and there's again, actually movies now that you cannot find or buy anywhere. Yes, which there is are, uh, a sad. range of films. Uh, one that comes to mind is Dogma, the Kevin yeah. Smith film. Uh, you can't find that anywhere. Uh, anything, but but even even big films, it's like okay, you can't get them. What really gets me is the small stuff, like the little like if you're an independent filmmaker, an independent musician. At least back in the day, you could rely on local experiences, right? You make mm-hmm. a very local sound. You make a very local story. You can get your blockbuster to carry it. You can get your corner store to sell your DVD. Right, you could sell it out the back of your trunk if you want to. Like sure. a lot of people did here in New York, you, you used to be inundated with people trying to get you to buy their CDs on the street. Right. As an independent creator now, how do you get your content into people's eyes and ears? Right. Because now it's this big convoluted process. Here's a QR code that'll take you to some website that you don't really trust that you have to sign up for. Right. Where you can do- like nobody's gonna like it, it. It stifles all of that, and I feel like the the strikes and all that. That's really just a symptom of what's going on here because how many creators would even now if you wanted to do a different studio if you wanted to make an independent film how you what you have to sell it to netflix outright to hope anybody watches it yeah like, what are your options really it, it, it really destroys all of that 
So, well, I mean, just look at Scott, you know, uh, when he released uh, Jurassic Punk, right? Mm-hmm. He's great success. I see it on airplanes everywhere. That, yeah, that, <laughs> I did see it. He hasn't but made a dollar on it. It's impossible because right. because now it's the it's the I mean, we can call it the Netflix strategy, right? Netflix bought your idea outright and then you can make money on your second idea. That's that's the that's the deal, right? We're going to give you the privilege of putting your content out. We're going to play you a fee. And then if people love it, when you renegotiate, that's when you can get your money. And that's what right. everybody's playing for. But the truth is, is and then then they cancel the, the third season. <laughs> Because that, that's they cancel the third season because they can make more money on the third season and it's not worth them to do it. See, I mean, we if you remember back in the days of network television, right? When the show would get popular, that's where you hear the stories of like you know Tim Allen making a million dollars an episode or Ray Romano getting right. Like in the in the renegotiations is where they make their money. Yeah, but I find I find that that's like a rock star strategy, right? Sure. There's like there's I feel like we can all agree that there are different levels of creative. And there's certain people that are rock stars. There are people that, you know, they're the Scorseses and whatever of their time that are going to make great, fantastic work. But the vast majority of us participate, survive in the industry. You know, like you, you, you try to contribute. You might someday make a great piece of work. If anything, you try to just contribute to as much good work as you can along the way and carve yourself out a living, right. you know, while doing it. Right. So that's what most of us have to do. But excuse me. If you're not a rock star, you're not going to get your chance to renegotiate. So you're going to make your independent film and sell it for nothing. And then you're going to make another film and sell it for nothing. And at no point are you going to be able to get your success, which back in the day, you could make an independent film. And you could at least distribute it independently so that for every $10 you sold it for, you made six or something like that. Maybe locally, maybe, you know, but now there is only rock star success or no success at all. Yeah. Do you think that this, I mean, I, we've used this example on my other podcast, Martini Giant, a lot, that, you know, this there was a revolution that happened at the end of the 60s and the early 70s in the film industry when the studios thought they were going to make Westerns and Doris Day films forever. Uh, mm-hmm. It turns out people stopped going to the movies because they were just kind of fatigued by that. Uh, and it wasn't and until... Good thing they did. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't until uh, people, like, you know, created things like Easy Rider and The Godfather that all of a sudden the the, the, the revolution of American filmmaking happened at that time. Do you think we're ripe for another revolution now that we, combined with the strike, combined with AI tools, combined with all that, do you think that's what's going to happen? 100%. Like, I find the echoing of that period can't be, can't be better, right? Right. Because back the, the studio started losing money. That's what actually encouraged them to take their chances on things like Easy Rider, and then the success right. of those films is what allowed guys like George Lucas to get in the door. And, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll do this crazy idea because crazy ideas work. But, you right. know, the way capitalism works, we did crazy ideas. Now, cr- the crazy idea became the standard and now we're doing it. And now, you know, with superhero movies and the, 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 the churn of everything, I feel like we're absolutely back at that same thing where people are like, all right, it's more of the same. We need a shakeup. Yeah. I feel yeah. that... And I've said this a couple times, and I'm not sure 100%, but it feels this way. I've been looking for what is the easy rider of today, right? What's the one that's going to change thing? And <laughs> I believe, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I really think that there's something to say about everything, everywhere, all at once could be the new thing. Because, 
of how independent it was, how crazy an idea it was. Also, by the way, used a ton of AI tools to make that movie possible with a very small crew. I was about to say and that. And they, they, didn't, they didn't go through the system. They didn't go through the big visual effects shops. They did mm -hmm. something different and it succeeded. It did well. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that story. I, I, I love that story. That's what we need to push for more right. is success stories like that. But even, but even not even that big, like smaller success stories would be great to me because, you know, the, the, demo, the, the democratization sorry, of ideas is the biggest thing. The right. idea that now with AI tools, with all our digital tools, you can create your story. And I feel like we're very much in, in that time, right? Everybody's, you know, woke is a, a term that's being argued for or against all the time and, you know, caring about people's background and stuff like this stuff is where we are culturally. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you can take an you can have a concept now and then have it spread out through smaller groups and taken out wherever you want. So we want to make a superhero movie, but we don't want to go through the big. And you can do that. That's great because that then applies where you have this story, but it doesn't reflect my group in it. I can now make that story with my group and my cultural twist, or you know my flavor, or whatever it is, and. If that's, I feel like that's a much more interesting way to go, both creatively, because, you know, the more we play with ideas, the better ideas shake out. And those are the ones that stay around, but also opportunity wise, because that's how people get to keep a piece of what they create. Sure. I feel like there's, there's a lot of, we, we've turned a lot of our industry into factory work. I feel like there's a lot of people working on projects that 12 year old Kevin would think are the greatest thing in the world. And then you talk to them and it's like a factory job. I come in, I punch in, I do these many shots and then I go and then I do these many shots the next day. And, you know, we've removed a lot of that passion for it, which sure. I think comes from completely from a lack of ownership of the work. Right. I feel like that's where the passion dies, right? Oh, I'm working on these shots. I can't actually do anything but exactly what they're telling me to do. Sure. And that's, you know, there's no ownership. That's a big thing in the way I work is I found that everybody needs to feel ownership, needs to feel contribution to the work because that's how people buy in. That's how people care about something getting done and that's how people care about something getting done well, especially. Right. I feel there's a lot of professionals right now that aren't really caring about getting things done well because right. who cares? Like, I don't have any power here. I'm just here to punch and do this, make this look pretty, and then I'm going to move on right. to the next one. You know, and it, the more independent type way of going i feel that that is the solution for it finding new ways of distribution because in a perfect world right we're, we're going in the direction where people can create whatever they want and put whatever idea they want out there in whatever medium they want and then give it to whoever they want like right. to me that's a beautiful thing so well that was the hope right i mean i hate to say you know we're talking about yes. distribution last year the big conversation is i'm going to distribute my independent film through crypto <laughs> because because people are hungry for that like right take, i mean crypto is a whole other thing <laughs> let's not let's but not there was the hope right as like ah screw the man right I, I went to nftla which you know now nowadays it's a little hard to sort of uh, make mm -hmm. that work but nftla was a combination of a bunch of crypto bros for sure but then all the creative people were like well finally i can just make my own stuff and i have independent you know yes uh, 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 Macy Gray was there was like 
I'm tired of having to go through Spotify. Yep. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought it was an amazing again before the. I feel like NFT got hit with a lot of brand marketing issues. This is oh really yeah, what happened? Oh but yeah. But the tech, the underlying concept and technology for music, especially like music licensing, I thought was phenomenal. Okay, right. I can I can own the NFT. I can license the NFT to you without a middleman, without right. anything. Allow you to use it for whatever period of time. You know, back I find something like that for IP is very it's a very interesting concept. Right. And definitely definitely a better I'm not saying it's the, it's the solution but definitely a better direction than where we are right now. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Well, listen, Kevin, we've gone an hour and it's been an amazing conversation. Uh, I know we could go easily several more hours, but I want to make sure that people have a chance to, you know, check out your work. So can tell us a little bit about where people can see your stuff. <laughs> Well, you can you can hit me up on any social media platform in the Sketch Studios, or yeah. you can go to my uh, go to my website and see some of my work at thesketchstudios.com. Perfect. There's a lot of great stuff there. Definitely check out what Kevin's done. He has, like he's, like he's alluded to us, worked in all kinds of mediums, which is incredible, and really understands uh, media, which is also great. And he's invented himself in the same way that he invented his own curriculum when he went to school. <laughs> That's uh, I like to make my own path. I say I like to come in through the side door. Yeah. I like yeah. I like to come in through the side door and then when security finds me they can kick me out. But until then I'll be at the door. Absolutely. So, uh awesome talking to you buddy and uh you know, we'll definitely catch up again at the next THU or SIGGRAPH, but Absolutely. uh thanks Absolutely. so much for doing this. <laughs> I had a great time man. anytime. Love talking to you about this stuff.